Why might an investor consider an Opportunity Zone hotel investment on the Las Vegas Strip? Find out more next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson coming to you once again from the Adisa conference in Scottsdale, Arizona. And joining me on today's episode is Bill Shopoff, president and CEO of Shopoff Realty Investments. Bill, thanks for joining the show. Happy to join you, Jimmy. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. We just met each other a couple of hours ago. We got to talking. You've got some Opportunity Zone deals in the works. We decided, let's get you on the show. We can talk a little bit about it. So to start us off, I actually want to get like a 30,000 foot view of your take on the Opportunity Zone marketplace in general, and why do you think an investor should consider Opportunity Zones, particularly in this market environment? Well, I think anytime there's a highly structured tax incentive program, if you've got an otherwise good investment, it makes sense to at least consider putting a QOZ type wrapper on it. Today, particularly when we're talking about higher tax rate potentially coming out of Congress and the president, I'm not a tax professional, but I think that typically higher rates are going to make tax incentive programs more intriguing and more interesting to the typical investor out there. So I think today is kind of a very interesting opportunity for us. And I think particularly in regards to what we're seeing currently in the stock market, with the stock market running up the way it has been over the past, well, I guess since uh, it bottomed out at the beginning of March of last year, prices of the stock market are certainly pretty high at this point. Any consideration or any thoughts to diversifying a portfolio that's been mostly invested in stocks? Opportunity Zones offer a way into real estate investing for a lot of investors, what I see. What's your take on that? Well, I think there's an interesting opportunity today. We've got a pretty big run-up in the stock market. I've got a number of friends and clients who are sitting on extremely low basis stock. We've talked to some folks who are employees at some of the like a Tesla, where they've got incredibly low basis. So selling that stock is not attractive if they can't protect the gain. But if you can do that in a way and convert that, what I'll call soft asset of a stock into a hard asset of real estate, I think you get that opportunity to to defer some taxes, obviously, not pay taxes on your future gains. But I think the value of getting into a hard asset today When inflation is being more discussed every day, given the amount of government spending we've had, real estate has classically been a great place to be in an inflationary economy. So there may be some value to taking a portion of your portfolio, taking some chips off the table, and reinvesting in a quality op-zone deal. Yeah, Bill, that makes perfect sense, I think. So let's shift gears now. I want to hear more about your Qualified Opportunity Zone deal that you're working on. You're working on the Shop-Off DLV QOZ fund. What can you tell us about that? Well, we had an opportunity to acquire a site in Las Vegas pre-COVID. We've been working on the entitlement of that site, and we launched our Shop-Off DLV QOZ. It's a giant acronym, apparently. Somebody in my firm is very popular, very happy with that. We're building a dream-branded hotel in Las Vegas on the Las Vegas Strip. So that was one of the things that really appealed to me. This is a project that we would do regardless of whether we were in an OZ 
But the fact that we can layer on the OZ benefits onto a high-quality asset like a boutique hotel in Las Vegas or walking distance to the Raiders Stadium, we're within a mile or two of T-Mobile and all the other entertainment venues in Las Vegas. That seemed to be a, a really unique opportunity. Yeah, so it's located pretty nicely on the Las Vegas Strip. It's at the very southern end, I believe, right next to the airport. Is that right? It is literally right next to the airport. And for those people that have been to the Welcome to Las Vegas sign, which is literally millions of people every year, go stick their their Instagram moment. When they take that Instagram shot, the Dream Hotel will be in the background. So we think it's a pretty prime location. And uh, we're really excited about that opportunity. Yeah, it sounds like a great location. I'm surprised that there are any opportunity zones at all on the Las Vegas Strip. Certainly in Las Vegas, that makes sense, some parts of Las Vegas, but I wouldn't have guessed there would be an opportunity zone on the Strip. We were pretty shocked by that when the land was brought to us initially. And then we had to solve other issues, too. I mean, we're it's Las Vegas. You have gaming. And most people are going to say, well, how are they going to do gaming in an op zone? Because you can't do sin businesses. But we figured out a structured way to do a, a, a condominium structure and qualify. And we actually have a legal opinion from our attorney on the structure that we've come up with to stay within the confines of the op zone law, but still be able to have the benefit of having gaming in our property. Oh, that's very interesting. So you do still have gaming we do. at the front of the property. Interesting. All right. Very good. And why this deal? Why do you like it in general? You mentioned that you would have done it anyway, that it's a good deal, the Opportunity Zone incentive layered on top didn't make this a good deal from a bad deal. It was already a good deal. Talk to us about the deal itself. Well, I think you'd have to look at where do you think Las Vegas is headed? I've been a long-term believer of Las Vegas. So when the pandemic hit, I didn't freak out. I won't say I didn't freak out at all, but I didn't completely lose. I looked at it. I said, Las Vegas is going to come back. Conference business will come back. And in fact, in March, Las Vegas had its biggest gaming month they'd had in eight years. So it's a pretty good indication people are coming back. They've got conferences coming back. The CES announced they're going to come back for a live conference with over 100,000 people in January. So Vegas is back. We'll have the newest property in Las Vegas, something that's new and shiny that people are going to want to participate in. And on top of everything else, we provided some other benefits. So we created the DLV Founders Club. And so people that invest in our OpZone deal also get perks at the hotel. So if you do an apartment deal, like you may never go see your apartment, but you invest in the... In why would the, you want to? Yeah. Why if you're in, a, in an apartment deal in Kansas City in an OpZone, like you're probably never going to see that building. You're going to benefit from it, but you're likely to want to come to your hotel in Las Vegas and get VIP treatment. So we just added a little layer of perks on there for our investors. And it's been way more popular than I thought it would be. But imagine you invest some money, you get picked up in the limo every time. You may be able to go to your suite if you're... Get if treated you, like a VIP. You are Vegas, a VIP. Right? That's, and not just at Dream Las Vegas, you'll be a VIP at Dream Worldwide. So it's a little extra perk for coming into our deal. Good. And uh, tell us a little bit more about the hotel specifically. It's a boutique hotel. It's a large hotel, but it's not large for Vegas. What's the size roughly? So it's 525 keys, which is large by many city standards. But Las Vegas is the place of mega resorts of three and four and 5,000 room hotels. Well, I don't think everybody loves that environment. There's a guest experience that's different at our property that people will be able to come and they'll have some of the things that they get 
in Las Vegas. We'll have the DJ pool. We'll have those things, but it'll be at a smaller, more intimate scale where people can really experience Las Vegas, maybe where they're not getting lost quite in the big morass of things. I mean, look, if you're in one of the other properties, it might take you 20 minutes to walk from one end to the other. And that's time you could be spending time at the pool. I've had that experience before in some of the larger hotels. There. I too have. Yeah. And sometimes I wish I'd changed shoes before I started that walk. I've had that same experience myself. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are nodding their heads in agreement now too. Those hotels can get enormous in Vegas. So it's interesting to hear your concept for a a much smaller hotel, large hotel, but very manageable by Las Vegas standards. What about just the general trend of hospitality in general? Hospitality has taken a huge hit over the last year. What are you forecasting or or why do you like hospitality in a post-COVID environment? What do you see happening? Look, hospitality clearly got hit probably harder than any other of the food groups in real estate. But I think because of that, there's interesting opportunities because, first of all, it's going to be challenging to bring new product to the marketplace. You have to look at hospitality across the waterfront. Select service, business hotels, they were the first to come back because people starting to travel and even if it was families traveling, people were using those. Probably the one that's going to have the hardest time in my mind is that downtown business traveler hotel, that luxury property, where that travel's cut back. But the conference business, people want to go to places like Las Vegas. Whether it's for a conference or whether it's for that bachelor or bachelorette party, they're going to Las Vegas. And we've seen an enormous group of people that just get in their car from Southern California. But it's also, it's actually today, if you check, it's the most Googled search place for the first place I'm going to travel post-COVID, Las Vegas. Well, good for you guys. It's good for us. Well positioned, it sounds like. I want to talk with you about the potential capital gains tax rate increase that's been floated by the Biden administration over the last several weeks here. I've spoken with a lot of my guests recently about this, but I'm always curious to get everyone's different take is a little bit different. Biden is discussing the possibility of a capital gains tax rate increase to the high 30s, maybe the low 40s, a pretty sizable increase, nearly doubling the current rate of 23.8% for long-term gains. What's your take on how that will affect the opportunities on marketplace and how do you think investors will react? I think it's caused a little bit of disruption here while it's being discussed because you've got people concerned that they could just pay their tax rather than go into the op zone deal and then they're going to get stuck paying at, at a potentially higher rate in 2026. So there's been some disruption to the marketplace, but our accounting firm has done an analysis And our belief, their belief, is that it's still advantageous to defer paying at 20 and paying later at 40. You still come out ahead. So although I think it's caused some pause in some of our folks on making that investment decision, I think that really will ultimately, as they look at the math for themselves, I think they're going to come to the conclusion that they should probably move forward with the decision if it was a good decision before this. The other thing is once the new rate, whatever it is, whether it's 28, 38, 40, it's actually going to make it more interesting to do an op zone deal because in effect, you're investing an interest-free loan from the IRS, from the federal government. So today at a 20% rate, 23.8, whatever you want to call it, but the government's loaning you 20 to 23.8 
today interest-free, and that's giving you a bump in your value. And by our it's, math... It's more money that you're able to put to work right. in your investment. And by right? our math, and it's about the same virtually everybody's, the rate's going to be about 200 to about 250 basis points, that it's increasing your yield over your pre-tax yield. So that increase is going to get better because if, if today I'm borrowing 20% tax-free or interest-free, and now I'm borrowing 40%, well, the incentive to do this is even better. Although I'm not a believer that the rate's going to go to 40, I'm going to handicap something in between the two, but I don't get paid for that very well because that's just my looking into my crystal ball or using my Ouija board. But I will know sometime this year, and it feels like we're going to know in June or July because I think they're going to have to get this done sooner rather than later before it starts to become too much of a midterm of election yeah. conversation. People got to know what the rate's going to be. Uh, to your point, be helpful for them if they get that sorted out before the midterms start rolling around. Absolutely. Well, we're at the ADISA conference, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Bill, and I just want to get your take on what brings you here to the ADISA conference. Why are you coming around here? Well, number one, because I haven't been out in a year. So the ability to get together and see our broker-dealer, advisor, and RIA clients, to get to see them in person, face-to-face, because most of the people who are here, I have not physically seen in 15, 16 months. Yeah, that's a good point. For almost everybody here, this is like the first major in-person conference that we've had since the beginning of 2020. Yes. So I'd gone to a couple of broker-dealer firms conferences in January, February. I went to Hawaii twice early last year to find out that I should have just stayed. But I think that's one of them. We've got this product and other products. We just want to make sure that we get our message out to people. And generally, my view is people are sick of Zoom. I think Zoom's got a, and I'm not picking on Zoom, but video conferencing. Sick of virtual life, I, I think that it has a place and I think it'll take a share of my life going forward. But as I shared in a meeting this morning, if my competitors believe they can do their business all on virtual, I'm going to win business over them. Because I think you've got to go out and touch people and you've got to go understand what's the buzz and how do we make something happen. It's those behind the scenes things. I was on a call listening to Jamie Dimon last week on an interview. And he said, look, it's those brainstorming sessions that happen at the end of the day over a glass of wine with your business associates and your customers. And that doesn't happen on a Zoom call. That doesn't happen. We've tried it. We've done virtual happy hours where we've actually shipped alcohol to people. It's It's better than nothing, but it's not the same. But the good news is nobody has to drive home. (laughs) That's a good point. But yeah, there is something to be said about looking someone in the eye and pressing flesh, shaking hands. There's a lot to it there, I think. Well, I think it's good to be back in person. The interaction of this, I think, is better because I can see your body language at a better Mm -hmm. level while we're sitting in the same place than when I've seen you on my iPad. So I think it just works better for many of us. I'm not saying that I'm not going to use Zoom tomorrow because I use it and I'm going to use it in places that I think are very good for my business and take advantage over what used to be a conference call because now I can see people but I'm still going to get in the car and go see people. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great tool still. We don't mean to bash Zoom too much. No, no. Yeah, people are business. getting... Wish I'd bought their stock last year. <laughs> of course. People are getting Zoom fatigue. And some, the, then I could have you... sold it and put my money into yeah, an OZ. Could have generated a capital gain, Bill. Absolutely. But yeah, there's some things that Zoom can't replace. And I think it, it's had to replace some in-person stuff over the past year. But hopefully that's starting to melt away as we get back to uh, real living, as I like to call it. Thanks. Out in the real world, meeting people in person. It's been fantastic past couple days here for me at least and i hope it's been the same for you too bill so far it's been excellent and really look forward to it and thanks for the opportunity jimmy good well before we go bill can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and shop you can go to our website at www.shopoff.com and from there you'll be able to find a link to our investment services or our phone number which is actually 844 shop off 844-SHOP-OFF and shopoff.com. That's fantastic. So for all of our listeners out there today, I will, as always, have show notes for today's episode on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that Bill and I discussed on today's show. And I'll be sure to link to shopoff.com and I'll list the phone number there as well. Bill, again, thanks for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit opportunitydb.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.